1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to say that. Thanks be to God. Now, I don't know about you. Actually, I do probably know about you. I think this is pretty common. But when when life gets overwhelming and busy... How many of us struggle to to remember sometimes the most important and basic things, right? Like there's simple things that that maybe we wouldn't normally forget, but we do in the midst of chaos. And there was a story I read a number of years ago that highlights this. And it was about a dad who had a, a young daughter, and her birthday happened to fall on the same day as Thanksgiving. And so this is what he wrote. He said, we had cake and presents first thing in the morning and then shifted gears to prepare for the traditional dinner with family. Before we knew it, we we had a house full of relatives that we hadn't seen in ages. We spent the whole afternoon watching games and watching football and catching up. And it wasn't until later that night, he says, I was tucking my daughter into bed and I asked her, did you have a good Thanksgiving? And she looked at me confused, and she said, it was Thanksgiving? And he realized that in the midst of all the chaos, he never told her about the holiday. And so she thought everything was about her, the cake, the presents, the celebration, all the relatives coming into the house. He said, I couldn't, I'll quote him, he said, I couldn't blame her. It was an epic parenting failure. In the midst of the busyness of preparing for the holiday, we never talked about what we were celebrating and why. In the midst of the chaos, they forgot one of the most important details about the day. And because of that, it skewed the experience of this little girl. Now, I would not agree with the father saying it was an epic parenting failure. If he was sitting by me, I would would extend grace. I think it's kind of cute, actually, that his daughter thought that the day was about her. But it's a good example of how even good busyness, even good chaos, can cause us to, to fall out of alignment with what's really important. And so, so that leads us into what today is. Today's the fourth Sunday in our series, 30 Days of Gratitude. And this whole month we've been uh, having this, God has given us this purpose as we've opened up his word each week uh, to realign ourselves with the things that we so quickly lose sight of and to use gratitude to do that. And so today our our reading that I read just a minute ago, it kind of wraps up this whole topic of gratitude in what is probably the most well-known passage on gratitude in Scripture, 1 Thessalonians. Now, give you a little bit of background because it helps, especially this year, to understand it. Um, This was, was likely the earliest letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's written to a church that he and some 
some other leaders have established in an important city in what is now modern-day Greece. So if you were with us last week, we read from the book of Hebrews. That was written primarily to Hebrew Christians, Jewish converts to the Christian faith. This week is kind of the opposite. There are some Jews among this church, but it is more largely represented by unchurched people, by Greeks, by others. And, and that's how this church began. And, and in addition to that, it began out of tension, and it began out of conflict. And we can read about what that tension and conflict looked like if we go back to the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, um, open up to the book of Acts. Um, leave your finger in First Thessalonians, but join me in Acts chapter 17, and let's read about how the Thessalonian church was started, beginning at verse 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. Now, I just, maybe you can read those words. I just have to tell you, I, I worked longer on saying those two words correctly than I practiced the rest of my sermons. So, <laughs> not going to say it again. When Paul and his companions passed through those two places, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as was Paul's custom, he went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures. That's, so that's over three weeks, right? So, so this, this would be like the earliest example of a sermon series that we find in the New Testament. So, so what's this sermon series about? Look at the next verse. Explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Paul says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. This is Christianity 101. That's the sermon series, that Jesus is hope for the world, that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior. Verse 4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Why is this detail included? Well, because this group of people were the least likely to receive the message Paul had to share. And yet they were the ones to follow him. These Greek, uh, God-fearing Greeks and women. Verse 5, but other Jews were jealous and so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Now, who's Jason? We, we don't know a whole lot about who Jason is. We know he was somewhat wealthy. He was a recent convert to the Christian faith, and he must have been hosting Paul and Silas. And so, so that's, that's what we know about him at this point. Verse 6. When they did not find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials. And they shouted, these men have caused trouble all over the world, and now they've come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Verse 8. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And when they made Jason and the others post bond, then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. And you read the next verse, Paul and Silas then quietly left the city. And that's how the Thessalonian church began. It was oppression. It was conflict. And it was great cost to those who chose to follow Jesus as king. Look at Jason. Had to literally, physically, with money, bail himself 
out. And what we're going to learn here is that between that moment when the church is formed and the moment where Paul is writing them this letter, this group of people is actually going to become stronger because of what they're going through. They're becoming stronger and strengthened because of the oppression and the difficult times that they're facing together. And so Paul writes them a letter, and he writes them this letter to encourage them in that, but then he also gives them some very practical wisdom on how to continue to grow in the face of opposition. He focuses them on what's most important, because in the midst of the chaos, good or bad, it's easy to get lost. And so we turn again to 1 Thessalonians verse 12. Paul says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. So here's the first thing to do. To acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Be thankful for the people working hard among you. And, and that's not hard to do in the midst of this season, is it? I mean, we, we can look around and see so many people. It could be as easy as thanking the, the, the person who's checking you out at the grocery store, right? It'd be easy as thanking a, a nurse or a doctor or a teacher or a parent or a neighbor or a friend. But, but it's also important to focus on the fact that, that these words say two things. First of all, it's to acknowledge those people, not just to be thankful for them, but to say something to them. And Paul is specifically talking about the people who are working hard in the Lord. These are the people that are laboring on your behalf. And I, I think about that, and I think about what this season has done for God's church. And, and I can only speak specifically to our church, but I know it's happening in other churches all around the world, is, is that, that we have so many reasons to be thankful for the people that have proven faithful on our behalf. The people that are serving us in the name of the Lord, admonishing us, which might be drawing us back to God, but it could be as simple as prayer as well. Uh, I shared at the last service, there's just, just one example, and, I, and there's been more and more and more each and every week, just people getting sick, people going through difficult seasons. And there's one uh, in particular, I was talking with the daughter of a woman who goes to our church, and she was very sick this last week. She was in the ICU. She was fighting for her life, and her daughter would call me every couple days and just give me an update on how things were going. And every time we talked, as they were facing this moment, as they were facing this moment where they might lose their mother, she always thanked me in order to thank the church. She, she asked me to thank the church for their prayers. That even though I couldn't physically go and, and visit her loved one in the hospital, even though we couldn't physically be together, she was so thankful for the people who pray. And so when we go through the, the motions of the announcements, and I, I, I ask you to, to fill out a Connect card and share with us if you have prayer requests, I think sometimes people forget what that does. We've got over 60 people who receive those prayer requests each and every week, and that doesn't even include all the rest of the people who receive our weekly emails and are praying for those within the church. And this family could feel those prayers. 
They could feel God strengthening them in the midst of what it is that they were going through. Paul says that we shouldn't just feel thankful for those who are doing those things, but we should thank them personally. We should acknowledge them in the midst of the chaos so that we can focus ourselves on what's most important. So we thank God. It helps us get through uncertain times. We thank those who are working on behalf of God. And then Paul continues, uh, verse 14, he says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, here's another thing to do, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And, and I want you, Pammy, if you could keep those words up on the screen uh, for just, just a minute, because I don't know about you, but the uglier the world seems to get, and we were just talking after the, or before the, the last service, a couple of us, about just how much less we've been paying attention to the news recently, because it's, it's, just, it's, it's just getting to be just so ugly, and it's been so ugly, but it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And yet I'm so amazed that, that the uglier the world around us seems to get, the more relevant the passages in Scripture that we're reading become. <laughs> the more relevant this becomes for the way in which God is calling us to live. Look at this, and you can take it off the screen now, but look at it in your Bible. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Why is this important? If you don't understand why it's important to warn those who are idle and disruptive, I'll just tell you, ask any family who lives with a toddler. Now, let me ask you a question. I don't want to cause division right now. How many of you have already put up your Christmas tree so far? Show of hands. Okay, we're about half and half here in the church. You're probably half and half at home. That's okay. The Spirit is drawing us together as one. Don't judge, right? Don't judge me. We have our Christmas lights up already too. And if you don't understand the danger of being idle and then disruptive, just ask a family like us. We've got a little two-year-old boy. Here's what happens when a little two-year-old is idle in a house with a Christmas tree. <laughs> Destruction. <laughs> Eventually we hear things cracking and breaking and pulling and falling, right? This doesn't end when, when you're not a child anymore. The same is true when we are adults. And, and how many of us, we're exhausted, right? I'm exhausted. So many of us are tired and overwhelmed and weary. And so this is helpful for us to know that, that, that maybe the most encouraging thing you can do with somebody in your life who's feeling that way, who's idle because they're broken, is simply to encourage them to do something. To get up and go for a walk, to play a game, to, to get on the phone and have a conversation. Because the verse continues, right? It says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. This reminds us, and a lot of times we read the first part of that passage and we think it's like a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of message, right? Like this is to, to tell people not to be lazy. That's not what this is about. Not supposed to be lazy, but that's not what this passage is about. It's specifically talking to people that are hurting and weak. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Why? Because the people that are idle and disruptive are probably people feeling disrupted themselves. They're hurting. They're weak. And so Paul says, do not, in the midst of the chaos, 
Do not forget to make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And then the passage that many of us have heard a million times before, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you're here in church, if you're here at home, I want you to say these words out loud with me. Say that last, that last line, rejoice. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Jesus. How many of you have heard that verse before? Those verses before? Show of hands. Even if I can't see you, show of hands. We've probably all heard those verses quoted to us over and over again. And so I want to ask you a question now that we've gotten through some of the context of this passage. Does it help us this year to know that these words are written to a people who are born out of adversity and oppression? Does it help you to know that these words are being written to encourage people that are hurting? That the last thing they feel like doing the year they got this letter is rejoicing and giving thanks. They're living in the midst of chaos. Their lives are being threatened every single day. They're living in survival mode. The last thing that they feel like doing is rejoicing and being thankful. And yet Paul's encouragement to them is to remain faithful by giving thanks. To remain faithful by being thankful, not because they feel like it, but because this is what they're going to need to survive. And it dawned on me a couple of years ago, I was thinking about just the, this whole holiday of Thanksgiving right, that we're going to be focusing on on Thursday in our country. And in the wisdom of our country's forefathers, when they named that day, they chose not to name it Thanksgiving. They chose to name it Thanksgiving. You ever thought about that? They, they never chose to, to call it something about a feeling. And if, if you know the history, you know why. And I'm not a big history buff. I had to look it up. Uh, but this holiday, Thanksgiving, if you go back in time, it can be traced back to the year 1621. 1621, the pilgrim William Bradford proclaimed a day of feasting to proclaim and, and to commemorate the end of the harvest season. And it was at the end of a year that was terrible. It was horrible. There was disease. There was, there was all, it, was, it was a hard year of farming. There was just so many things that had happened to them. They had suffered. Many people had died. And so they chose to be thankful, not after a year of success and prosperity, but it was a, a year of great difficulty. And if you look back at the history, what you'll see is that after that year, our country basically forgot about Thanksgiving for a long time, decade after decade after decade, because things got better. As they got more prosperous and as they got more successful, they forgot about Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving wasn't even set out as a national holiday until Abraham Lincoln did it in 1863. And he made the Thursday in November that we remember today the official holiday of Thanksgiving. And even if you don't know a whole lot about history, right, you know that when Abraham Lincoln was president, it was the most peaceful time in our country's past, right? I hope you're laughing. It's not true. We weren't peaceful at all. Our country was in the midst of civil war. If you, if you really look back, you'll see that, that Abraham Lincoln's own life was in shambles. There's this quote that I read. It says this. It said, many of his own cabinet openly despised him. 
They joked about him. They called him a baboon in public. His wife was being investigated as a possible traitor of him. It was bitterly wounded, wounding to him. His wife, um, personally, in the face of such personal and national misery, this is the last part of the quote, Lincoln's call for a day of prayer would have made sense, but a day of thanks at a time like that. It was the last thing that anybody would have wanted to do. And yet Lincoln, whether he realized it or not, was more aligned with a biblical definition of thanks because thanks is not a feeling. But thanks requires faith and it's something that we need to survive. And so as we, as we think about these things, and as God stirs this kind of biblical gratitude in the midst of our hearts, just think like, if you've had a great year this year, I haven't met you, <laughs> but maybe you're out there. You know, that's wonderful, happy things feeling. <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful things feeling. But if you've had a terrible year, or maybe it's just been a mediocre year, or maybe it's been a really, really bad year, Paul says that if that's you, you have more reason to find something to be thankful for. Verse 16, rejoice always, always. Pray continually. And if you have your own Bible, underline that, highlight that. Pray continually. We're going to come back to that. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 17. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. You know why we have a rhythm to our worship services? It's because of passages like this. We come into the sanctuary, right? right? And our worship team welcomes us to worship. And then we sing. And guess what? A lot of people come into the church services and they don't feel like rejoicing. They're not doing it because they feel like it. They're doing it because it is the rhythm by which Paul calls us to. Look again at this verse, verse 16 through 18. Rejoice always. And then what do we do in worship? We pray, right? We pray continually. And we give thanks in all circumstances. Why do we do this? Not because it's a feeling, because it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And we begin with prayer because we know we need God to help us with the rest of the verse. And he will be with us for the rest of the verse. Look at the, uh, the next couple of verses here in 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. Look at that verse 24. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. We don't generate peace and gratitude and joy and thanksgiving inside of ourselves by ourselves. It is God himself who is faithful. He is the one that develops those things within us. Paul reminds the people that are tired and oppressed and weary and broken that it's God who does those things for us when we come before him. And it's not just Paul. Look back at the Old Testament, Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. If you don't have anything at all to be thankful for this year, be thankful that God is God. Be thankful for him. 
Because that's what they were doing. And hundreds of years after that psalm was written, in the nation of Israel, they, they, they themselves went through civil war. They were broken. And then they were taken over by enemy nations. And maybe you know the story about a prophet named Daniel. You ever heard of Daniel before? Daniel and his people, they were taken to a place called Babylon. And the king there, he, he forced everybody to bow to him as God and to nobody or nothing else, including the one true God. And if you did that, if you did not bow to the king as God and instead bowed to anything or anyone else, you would get thrown into a den of lions, okay? And, and, and most of us, we only know that story from Sunday school. And so we remember that he doesn't get eaten by the lions and they're cute and he was petting them. Like, 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 let's just think about that. If you had to be thrown in with the lions at the Milwaukee County Zoo this afternoon, I don't think you'd be happy about it. It's terrifying. And that was what happened to Daniel. And so how does he address God in the midst of this? Where does he find encouragement and peace when his life is in danger? Look at Daniel 6.10. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, say this part with me, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. He gave thanks when life is hard, just like he had given thanks when life was good. And I don't know, maybe some of us need to hear that this year. Maybe we need to find a way to be thankful, not because of what we're thankful for this year, but maybe we need to dig back and think about what it is that we've been thankful for in the years before. In the many years that God has been faithful to us, that he has been present with us, that he has been with us. Because what we see in the story of Daniel is, yes, God does save him from the lion's dead. But maybe even more important than that, by him continuing to choose to thank God in the midst of impossible circumstances, it had an effect on the people around him. Such an effect that the king would turn around and declare a new decree that said everybody needs to now bow before Daniel's God, Daniel's king, come before him and have thanks. Because the truth is, the wearier our world gets, the more of an impact we can have on the world around us as the people of God when we continue to choose to be thankful. It changed the king, and it can change you and me as well. And there's a good story that I'll end with that illustrates this. I read it a number of years ago. It was, it was in the newspaper. It was an editorial. It was written by a first-grade teacher. And she talked about how every year she has her first grade class do this project where um, they have to draw something that they're thankful for on the week of Thanksgiving. And she's always a little bit nervous about it um, because, because she's got kids in her class that come from just a wide variety of backgrounds. And so some of those kids are going to go home and they're going to have a full spread and family and all of this stuff. Some of them are looking forward to Christmas and presents and all of those things. And then some of the kids in her class, they have very little to speak of to their name. And, and even sometimes are afraid to go home and be with family. And so it's always an interesting illustration to have them do this. And so she, she wrote in the newspaper that she had them do this this year. And most of the kids, like most years, they, they drew pictures of things that you would think of, things like turkey on the table or the Christmas presents that they're looking forward to in a few weeks. 
But this year, there was, there was a different one, and it was drawn by a little boy named Douglas. And Douglas was one of those kids that doesn't come from much. And so she wasn't sure what he was going to draw. And on his paper was this simple childish hand. It was like an outline of his own hand. And all the kids had to share their drawings with the rest of the class. And everybody wondered when Douglas showed his drawing, what does that hand represent? And they kind of talked to each other amongst themselves. One kid said, maybe it's the hand of God, right? God brings us food. Another one said, maybe it's the hand of a farmer because farmers grow chickens. Because that's how first graders think of these things. But Douglas didn't say anything. And so after class, the teacher sat down next to him and asked him, Douglas, whose hand did you draw? And Douglas looked at his teacher and he said, it's your hand. And she thought about it. And then she remembered that almost every single day when they go out to recess, little Douglas comes up next to her and reaches out his hand and she reaches down and takes his. And she thought, you know, how many times have I done that? I'm a first grade teacher But for little Douglas, a little boy that I thought had nothing to be thankful for, when I asked him to draw something, the one thing that he was thankful for was me. And she realized that that was more important than anything that anybody could have drawn. All of the turkeys or the material possessions on the other papers. And it changed her perspective. It changed her perspective. Little Douglas's thankfulness changed her perspective. And folks, the same thing was true about Daniel. Daniel thanking God changed the perspective of the king. And Paul says to the church, the Thessalonian church that's facing opposition and brokenness and pain, that the same is true for you and me. The forefathers of our country knew this, and they knew it because God has built it into the hearts of the people that he has made in his likeness and image. It begins with faith. And it begins with a choice. And so let's allow God to speak to us now as we watch this video and spend just a few minutes in prayer. What, God, do I have to be thankful for? Let's watch. Though I wake to a world with more questions than answers, where dissonant voices ignite division, my heart will stand firm in this decision. I choose thankful. Though I walk through a landscape that is uncharted and foreign, where the once familiar seems lost and forgotten, I will remember that nothing is unexpected to my Father in heaven, and I choose thankful. Though I live each day uncertain of tomorrow, I will accept that tomorrow was never certain and cherish every chance to witness the wonder of creation. I choose thankful. I choose faith in what is unseen, hope for a future beyond the adversity, love spoken despite animosity. I choose to believe. And though the struggles I face may be painful, though it sometimes seems impossible, Though I fall a thousand times covered in the dust of failure, I am able to rise. 
Not because I am strong, not because life is perfect, but because in all circumstances, Jesus lives. When this world stands perplexed and demands I give a reason for the hope that I have, I can only say that in Jesus' name, I choose thankful. It's not a simple choice. It's not an easy choice. But it is the only choice that brings calm in the storm. Not by my power, but through the strength of Christ alone. I choose thankful.